Hello, everyone. I'm glad that you're here, that we're here together. Um, last week, as you know, was Easter. We celebrated outside. I heard, I don't know how I know this, but I heard it got a little cold. Um, so by the end, you know, maybe some people were shivering a little bit. Um, I invited a friend who did not want to go outside. Um, he said, like, no, I'm definitely not doing that. It actually wasn't because it was cold, or maybe there was a threat of cloud. Um, you see, he has a past, um, probably about 15 years ago, of being on the streets of New Haven. And so when we do our service outside, he says, I'm not coming. No, I thought because it was Easter, and because I'm a friend, because I'm a little bit stubborn, and maybe also persuasive, uh, I could invite him. So I said, it's Easter. Can you come? He said, no. But I've been praying that it would rain. Legit. <laughs> He'd been praying that it would rain so he could come and join us. Because for him, being outside with all corners of the green, anyone able to see him, given what people have done to him, maybe what he's done to others, even if it's more than 15 years ago, it's a real threat. A real threat to who he wants to be. So he didn't come. For this person, the power of Easter couldn't stop the fear that resides in our city. Kind of just echoes around, bouncing between corner to corner. I want to ask you this afternoon if you're in touch with that fear. A few uh, weeks ago, Kiana and I were at the Black Corner, a Black-owned business in our city where we've been doing regular outreach and prayer for uh, the owners, but also uh, neighboring kids that go to troop school. So we were outside. We had done uh, a little bit of a table set up. We had Jenga, but because Kiana is very creative, both with our kids downstairs and our kids around the city, she had uh, marked out on these Jenga blocks questions. So when you took the Jenga block, you would answer them. Maybe some of you all have played it that way. And one of the questions uh, was, what would you uh, do if you won the lottery? So as a kid, got it out, and then began to answer. Uh, he said, well, I'd give it to my mom so we could finally leave New Haven, because this is a place where people get killed. And then everyone in the circle just agreed, said, yeah, that's true. A story from a few weeks ago. When Elm City Vineyard was in its first year or two, a significant number of us volunteered at Your Place Youth Center in New Hallville. And sometimes we would give kids rides back to their home. We asked one kid, where do you live so we can give you a ride back? They said, I can't tell you. We said, well, how are we going to get you home? They just directed us street by street, straight, right, left. We said, hey, you can tell us. And they said, well, no, if I say what neighborhood I'm from, then you'll know I'm in a gang. You'll know that I'm affiliated with a gang because these gangs are often called where they're from. This person didn't do gang activity. They were just so scared to say the name of their neighborhood, to say their home, because they felt like it would condemn them of something. To them saying their neighborhood was an act of war. So we just continue with this strange practice, straight, left, right, until finally, we got home. 2009, 2022, 13 years apart, and yet that same fear has remained in our city. The fear that people's lives might end with a gun, with a bullet, over 
what? Since 2009, 208 people have been killed in our city. 13 years ago to now, the blood cries out. Are we listening? In 2008, as a recent college graduate, I was gripped by a core value of our community as I was here at ECV uh, visiting. It's from Jeremiah 29, verse 7. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city for which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Seek the peace and prosperity of New Haven, because in its peace we will discover our own. There was something grounding about that exhortation that placed me in a city, that placed me in this city of New Haven, a city that so many can find transient. There was something sobering that my peace was connected to folks like me and unlike me. People who had been here, maybe staying around, people who had been born and raised here, different neighborhoods in our city, our peace was connected to one another. Is your peace connected? Connected to this greater New Haven community? Is your peace connected to the 25 homicides of last year, of 2021? Only five of them solved. Not the only metric of accountability, but one of them. Only five solved. Is your peace connected to the surprising reality that it's almost May, and we only have three homicides for this calendar year? Three too many, but that's strict. Strange. It's, it's better than last year at the same time. Are you connected to those realities? Does that mean something to you? Is that something that you pray about as you pray for peace? We're called to be peace seekers, peacemakers, peacekeepers, and God gives us a city, a place where we live for that work to grow, develop, where we can become rooted as peacemakers in life-changing and life-saving work. But our real question today is, what does that mean for our personal formation? What does that mean for our city as we seek peace around us? Are those things connected? Our own lives, our very lives, even lives we might think are so distant or so removed or maybe so intimately connected, depending on your story. What does it mean for us to have this call for peace be from God for our very lives. Let's enter in together. Before we go deeper, I want to pray for us. So let's pray. God, I pray right now that you would bring your peace here. That you would bring your peace and you would help us know that we are connected to one another. We are connected to the city. And I pray you would give us a heart right now of listening. That you would help us listen to this blood that cries out. You would help us listen to your voice your very spirit within us, speaking to us. You would help us listen to one another, the people of our city. Help us listen to you today. In Jesus' name, amen. For the next three weeks, we're going to go through our series, The Blood Cries Out. We're going to explore God's heart for life over death, especially in the face of murder. We're going to make our way from Genesis, the book of beginnings, then look to the life of Jesus and then go and end in Revelation, 
the book that's about the end of all things. We're going to make a journey through the scriptures we think about, reflect on, and ask God, what is our role in being people of life that promote life in the face of death, even murder? My hope is that we'll listen to God, listen to the scriptures, listen to the Spirit and to one another. If we're people of the resurrection, like we celebrated last week, I think there's something for us as we go nearer and closer to places of death and dying. So let's listen to scripture now. This story that we're going to read is the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, it, it's kind of a famous story because, you know, from that story we get this phrase, brother's keeper, which is more than just in a Christian communities. It's kind of gone and spread as people think about, well, are we our brother's keeper? Are we our sister's keeper? Are we connected? And so we're going to look in Genesis chapter 4. You can go there if you'd like. Uh, we're going to take uh, kind of right back up when it says, uh, after God is expressing displeasure with one of the sets of two brothers, Cain, for his offering, and he's expressed acceptance and pleasure at Abel's offering. That makes Cain upset. So we're going to dive right in there at chapter 4, verse 6. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let us go out to the field. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. The blood cries out. God has not forgotten Abel. After Cain kills his brother, God asks a pointed question. Where is your brother Abel? Where is he? God names Abel rightly as kin, one who shares in the same blood and family and roots as Cain. And he asks him, where is your brother? Cain is stumped. How do I answer? What do I say back to God? So Cain lies and he justifies himself. He says he doesn't know, which is the lie. And then for good measure, asks and am I my brother's keeper anyway? Then God quiets him and says, listen, listen, listen. Do you hear it? The blood cries out. Your brother's blood cries out. The blood of the brother you just slain cries out to you, to me to us. Did Cain listen about what blood can do, and are we listening here? If we want peace for our city, we've got to respond to this cry, because the call and the cry of Abel has grown all too familiar throughout human history, including in our cities, especially this city, the one that we're in right now. We can relate to the fact that the blood cries out. We can respond to this cry in three different ways. That's what we're going to explore in our remaining time together. 
I want to share that with you. We can choose to be people of peace, connecting our own personal formation as people that let peace in and have its way. We can let that peace do something in us so we can have the wherewithal, the capacity to actually be people that make peace. But first, peace has to have its way inside of us so we can choose to be people of peace. The second thing is that we could choose to be our brother's keeper, which means going nearer and closer to places where people are either being killed or killing. I'll explain more about that in a little bit. But choosing to be our brother or sister's keeper. And to be a good news bringer, bringing the news of Jesus, connecting people to Jesus who provides accountability, protection, and mercy. And for those of us, all of us, who are people impacted, causing, or affected by violence, we need all three. We need accountability, we need protection, and we need mercy. So that's what we'll be looking at today. We're going to start with becoming a person of peace. Did you catch something as we were reading the scripture? Did you catch that God's moving as an interrupter to Cain? Interruption is one of the key works of peacemaking, interrupting something that's about to happen so it never does. God actually moved towards Cain in that way. God's trying to de-escalate Cain. And let's let God school us alongside Cain because part of our avoidance of peace on our streets is a lie. That our actions might be very different than Cain's actions. That might be the first way that we read this passage. I would never do something like that. And I want us to get curious about that. But that can be sometimes our first, immediate, and only reaction when it comes to violence. Well, I wouldn't do that. And then we get distant and more distant, sometimes just retreating to safety, sometimes just retreating from something that has made us uncomfortable. Well, because I wouldn't do that, that's not my problem. As we observe a master class in de-escalation from God, let's ready ourselves to relate to what God says to a soon-to-be murderer. We're going to bring back six and seven up if you're still following along in the text. I'm just going to read it one more time. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. God points out the emotions driving Cain, anger, and I think the countenance falling is sadness. God offers a preferred future of acceptance with God. And God identifies the real enemy, not Abel, but sin. And God exhorts Cain to master it. In three sentences, God gives Cain so many interruptions from death, from the actions he soon will take. The interruption of letting, God, of letting Cain confess that his emotions are driving him. They're driving him. They're steering his life. They're steering his choices, not who God is. Notice God doesn't say, don't be angry. Don't be sad. God's looking for a conversation. Why, son? Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? God's drawing him into a conversation, I think, to interrupt the strong emotions that are steering, driving, and ultimately lead him to take his brother's life. But I think that can relate to our story, too. How many times do we let our emotions drive us before we narrate those emotions in a space of healing? Maybe with God, a person we trust, maybe a leader or a counselor, perhaps with a friend. 
Because when we interrupt those strong emotions, we have a chance to pursue life. You know, Jesus makes this all the more clear and difficult for us in the Sermon on the Mount, which is in uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 and 22. You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus says he's concerned about what's going on in our hearts, no matter what the action or the outcome is. He's concerned. He's interested. He wants to have a conversation with us. It's easy to say, hey, we don't have a problem. There's no weapons here. But God seems to want to go deeper. We're encouraged by God to put our strong emotion in conversation so we don't kill, but also so we don't hurt, so we don't have something grow uncontrollable inside of us. That's part of what it means to seek peace. And in our city's peace, we'll find our own. Perhaps we all have a similar problem. There are similar roots to what's going on, but it maybe makes a difference what neighborhood you live in for what the outcome looks like. But perhaps the same thing that's toxic going on underneath is quite identical. It's been interesting being in this nonviolence group that Patrick was mentioning. You know, we meet Mondays at 8, and one of the first things we do is we say our names to one another, especially if there's people that are new. And then we share a story, a testimony of peace or violence or nonviolence in our lives. And we have people go around and say, how has that become real to them that week? And a lot of times people are saying something that can feel maybe uh, ordinary, but they're expressing the reality of what their heart felt. A friend that they're having trouble communicating with and thinking, what should I do? I'm so hurt. What happens now? And then someone else maybe even coaching and saying, well, I think you're looking at these two ways. But what if there's a third way for you? Someone say, I've, I've never thought about that. I wonder if that would make a difference. People have workshopped ethnic insults, ways that they've been called out of their name. What do I do to still pursue peace? People sharing places where they're stuck. And together, in an ordinary way, as we put our spiritual formation literally on the table for someone else to comment on, to, to coach, we become peacemakers in a different way. We become people that can choose to be courageous. Dr. King says nonviolence is a way of life for courageous people. We can choose to be courageous as we bring the small things and also the bigger things. Because it turns out those things are dramatically connected. And when you're thinking about gang violence and gun violence, we'd be surprised how much starts small but then escalates. Sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for us, but we must master it. Are you ready, even in your own lives, to de-escalate? Temptations to anger, violence that your surprise comes out of you, but it does, maybe on the road, maybe in a conversation, maybe with someone that irritates you, you're surprised that's in you, but maybe you say, well, that wasn't that bad, though, or it won't happen again. This is capital S sin that's trying to knock on our door and influence our lives. And Jesus says, that has a consequence, even mentioning the fire of hell, the fire of what judgment could look like. The same judgment I think we try to put on people, sometimes with an ultimate end.
It's easy for some of us to say, we're okay, because our fights don't involve guns or knives. But we've got to remember that question that Cain asked, that maybe can be asked back to us. Are we our brother's keeper? The blood cries out, are we listening? We need to pursue that formation within to let the peace soak and go deeper. The second way to practice peace is to be our brother's keeper, our sister's keeper. We need to take steps closer to ones who are likely to die or to kill. I'm using that language in a specific way. One of my friends, Stacy Spell, he leads an anti-gang violence group called Project Longevity. And the work that they do is get closer to people, and they're identifying people that are the most likely to either take lives or to have their life be taken. He'd say at the end of the day, all these problems are incredibly relational, and they actually are just a subset of a, a small number of people, probably around 200 people in our city. And anything, anything anyone does to support that social system to bring peace is doing things that can literally save lives because we're interrupting a relational system of violence. God was crying out to see where Abel was. Cain said he didn't know. Do we know where the violence is within our city? Are we aware? Because we're called to go to those places to bring peace. When talking about what communities can do to help with peace, Stacy always tells three stories. A repeated story that he tells is uh, one of a call-in. And unfortunately, this isn't the same story. It's a story that changes every few months. A call-in is a place where they're bringing in people from gangs, sets, uh, usually communities are struggling with violence. And at these call-ins, they look at people and say, when we look around the room, the reason why you all are here is because one of you is likely to be killed. Perhaps, maybe you will kill. And we will do anything in our power to make that not happen. Social services, jobs, counseling, anything, so that doesn't become a reality. And, and almost always he has a story of six months ago, I was in the same room with other people. And then he usually puts a face on the name. They were in your seat. They are not here anymore, whether that's because they're behind bars or because they've passed. That's the dynamic of relational violence in our city. But he always tells two other stories. One is of a community named Masjid al-Islam. It's a mosque in the Dwight Kensington neighborhood. And they had violence impact their community probably 10, 15 years ago. And what they did is they had people get out of the church, get out of the mosque, get out of the sacred place, and say, we're not going to be there right now. We're going to be on our streets walking. That's all they really did. They just walked walking back and forth. Back and forth. And what happened was they experienced something in that neighborhood where people that were selling stopped selling, at least in that little six-block area. People that were doing violence took it elsewhere. And Stacey Sewell said they interrupted something that was impacting their community by going outside their four walls and demonstrating there is peace that can be kept. He tells another story of his own neighborhood, West River. He loves to tell this one because it's his neighborhood, where they just went outside, they planted seeds, they, they, they gardened, they invited other people, and 
violence in their neighborhood went down as well. It's almost as if you're a person of peace and you go outside, you become visible, you become an agent in a neighborhood or in a place struggling with violence, something changes. And then he says, what are you willing to do for peace? How are you wanting to show up so something might change in your neighborhood, so something might change in our city? If Stacy Spell were here, he would say something boldly, clearly, and if you know the man, in a booming way. He'd say that when we volunteered for your place, you center, we saved lives. He said when we would move to Kensington, a group of us, that we saved lives. When we volunteer with Erica's nonprofit, Youth Without Limits, on Mondays in Fairhaven, or play ball on Wednesdays, that we save lives. And he would say that confidently, with no hesitation. And it's not because he thinks our community is awesome, or that we're incredibly, incredibly equipped to do the work, but I think for him, he's a deacon in his own church, he would say it's because doing almost anything fights back this sin that lurks at the door, waiting to master others and waiting to master us. That's how bad things are, but that's also how powerful an interruption can be. Words from a friend. Recently in our nonviolence group, uh, uh, one of our uh, friends and members, Demaria, who's uh, kind of connected here but goes to another church, uh, he gave me permission to share the story. He was by uh, his own home in New Hallville. He saw uh, a fight break out that actually included a machete and someone was hacking someone, the hand being cut. And he rolls up with his car and says, get in to the one that just got hurt. And then they do leaving the other person was attacking behind. And they speed off to the hospital. One little fact about Damari, he's been coming to the nonviolence group, and he said, I don't know if I can do this, because there's a lot of stuff in me that's still working out. Can I be a peacekeeper? And can I do that when I'm struggling with my own violence? And we said, just keep coming. If you know stories of being trained almost in anything, but specifically this work, you have to come to work things out. Even in the civil rights movement, when they're practicing nonviolence, so many people started coming being like, this is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. Why would I be nonviolent? Have you met the people on the other side of the tracks? They started that way, and then they became leaders. Names we would recognize, people you've seen in movies about this work, because they were convinced. Their heart was convinced at the end of the day. And that process was happening <clears throat> to DeMario. The story's not over yet. They're still in the car, and the man that he's taking to the hospital says, let me go home right now, I need to get my gun. I need to get my gun. He says, no, we're going to the hospital first. They go to the hospital, his hand gets checked out, and he says, okay, I need to go home to get my gun now. He's like, we're gonna drive somewhere else, because you're not getting that gun. Tomorrow's interrupting. <clears throat> he's taking the heat from here and bringing it down. That story ends with the guy going home, not to get his gun, but just to rest that, to heal. He saved a life. He maybe saved multiple lives because he was willing to be an interrupter, even if he didn't know that he had it in him. Turns out it did. He did. But the stories don't have to be that intense. They can be much lighter. They really can. We can do things that we might think are very ordinary. They can have such an impact. 
a few years ago, we were praying about what we would do in response to the murder of George Floyd as a community. We were doing listening prayer, asking God to guide us, doing this group and program called Reimagining Authority. At that same time, homicides were spiking in New Haven. We said, it feels like if we're really listening to the Spirit of God, it wasn't what we expected, but maybe we were supposed to care right here first, which we had done before. We said, that's kind of, we almost felt like we were rerouted. And we went to a gathering at Gough Street Park, and someone was on the stage speaking about what we could do. He was the father of someone, of, uh, he had lost his son. He was a father that was the victim of gun violence. And he said, almost kind of like spur of the moment, looking at a church. I want to know why these churches meet indoors. I want to know why they're inside talking about the love of God. I want to know why they're inside protected and not out here, not in these streets. The streets where my son's life was taken. Why are they protected inside? At the time, we were meeting outside, so the very prideful part of me felt kind of pretty good. It's like, yeah, we do that. But he has a point. Why do we get together to do our boldest work of proclamation and demonstration, singing together, worshiping? And then we dart maybe to our vehicles or to our homes, and people don't know what's inside of us. People don't know what it's like for this group to gather together. That's what was so powerful about being outside. I know it got cold last week. That's what's so powerful about being together in a public place, proclaiming the work of God. You all participated in that, and you just sat down. So it can feel intense sometimes, but it can also be pretty easy, bringing your own life to a place that just might have a little bit more danger, or so we think. We're kind of all making that up sometimes. To bring peace. What would it look like for you to get near to be visible in our city? Perhaps it's going to these liturgies of homicide when they happen. I hope there'll only be three this year. That's my prayer. We're going to do three, but we'll do more if we have to do more. Maybe it's volunteering with some organizations that ECV is connected with or partnering with. I've mentioned Youth Without Limits, Monday, Wednesday, 5.30. You can go to our website on the serve page and look to see if there's something that you want to get involved in. Maybe it's going to your local management team or maybe going to a management team, another neighborhood that maybe is more impacted by uh, gun violence in yours, and asking, what can I do? Put me to work. I want to show up for my neighborhood. All those, I think, would work. And only you can choose to get started in doing that work, or continuing that work, or deepening that work, doing the formation to let you become the person you need to be. And of course, we're doing great works of service here at ECV for this community, for our families around the world. But there's something about being a neighbor to the place where you're living. And outside your home, maybe outside your vocational work, there's something about choosing to say, I'm going to be involved in the peacemaking of our city. The last thing we'll talk about today before I get to some invitations is being a good news bringer connecting people to God for accountability, for protection, and for mercy. If you think about it, there's a reason why Cain lied when God asked, where is your brother? Cain was scared. He was ashamed. He was guilty. He likely wondered, what will this God do to me? So what were his options anyway? 
if that's how afraid he was. It's hard to look to God for mercy when you have executed judgment on someone else. It's hard to look to God for mercy when you might imagine God to be as violent as you are. He was distant because I think that's how he saw God. He anticipated violence because I think that's how he saw God. So he lied. He moved away. That's exactly why it's so important for us to introduce people to the real God, as God does provide accountability. But God also surprises us with the way he protects us, extends mercy to us when we ask him to show his kindness. And that's why some of the things that we experience here in this building, in this space, even that we sang about during our time of worship, we need to put on wheels and go to folks that need to see who God is. When we have that moment of worship earlier, we feel tender towards the heart of God. We need to actually let people know that's who God is. That's his character. That's his loving nature. Because some folks don't know. When you don't know God is love, when you don't know God has mercy, you act like he doesn't. God goes further to say what happens to Cain after saying, do you hear the blood crying out from the ground? He says, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it will no longer yield to you its strength. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Today you have driven me away from the soil, and I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and anyone who meets me may kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. Whoever kills Cain will suffer a sevenfold vengeance. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who came upon him would kill him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. This is the end of the story. <clears throat> Something about the land itself curses those who make blood fall on it and swallow it up. It makes Cain's work harder, resulting in him going from land to land instead of being established, instead of being rooted in a place, being planted at home. It turns out that if we long for rootedness, we have to be careful to plant seeds of peace instead of letting blood fall on the ground, which scatters us from place to place fugitives and wanderers of the earth. Rootedness can actually result in healthy neighborhoods, peaceful neighborhoods, where people walking streets or planting flowers or connecting with another can actually be an interruption in and of itself. And it turns out these healing communities, they're exactly the kind that the prophet Jeremiah from the passage I read earlier, it's what he says to make in exile. Communities of healing interruption from the violence of what then they call Babylon we can call the world the way it is. Not God's kingdom coming, but just what our communities do pretty naturally. Turns out that these communities of healing can happen when we are rooted. Cain lost that rootedness, but he didn't lose God's mercy. As he appealed to God about the likely violence and murder that would come from being someone walking in strange lands outside of community with blood on his ledger, God met him with mercy. The Lord marked him so others would know, and God go, others would know that God goes with this person, despite his sins, despite his misdeeds. This one has been marked 
by an appeal for mercy. Given the 25 homicides in our last year, the 208 lives taken since 2009, 243 since our church was founded, that's a lot of blood. That's a lot of death. To me, we all need that mark. The mark that lets us know that we've heard that the blood cries out that we've heard God asking us, where are our brothers and sisters? Where did those 243 go, ECV? Will we justify ourselves, say, we don't know where they are, angrily say to God, well, we didn't kill them. What can we do? Shrug our shoulders and say, are we our neighbor's keeper? Or will we say, Lord, have mercy. Give me the mark. Our ledger is long and complicated, and we are in no way innocent. Give me the mark, God. Will we say that as a humble and humbled church? Or will we remain silent, stuck, oblivious, with sirens all around? So, Lord, mark us. Mark us with your blood, Jesus, the kind that convicts but also sets free. Yes, mark us, God, with your redemptive blood. Then send us out as a fugitive, as an exile, to walk throughout a city so it can know and trust the mercy of God that we carry in our very story, in our very bones, in our own mark. Help us be a person of peace, Jesus. Help us be our brother and sister's keeper, Jesus. Help us be a good news bringer, Jesus. I want to invite you forward with four very practical steps you can take. Uh, They're not for everyone. One might be exactly for you. You might find a handful, but I feel like one of these steps needs to become our story, part of our story. You could join our nonviolence crew on Mondays at 8 p.m., That crew is doing several things. I'll just name three. The first is a commitment to every week talk about how peace, violence, and nonviolence impact you and listen to others as they talk about how that has become personal to them. How violence, anger, and sin have crept into part of their life and how they've either succumbed or countered it. We do that every week. Talk about that story so we don't go weeks without not saying this is personal to us. The second thing is to plan for a a march in our city, a a few walks in our city, where we're going to go from the neighborhoods that often impact violence and then, quite strangely, a neighborhood right next to it, usually, that doesn't impact, isn't impacted by the same gun violence. Whether it's Fairhaven and Fairhaven Heights, whether it's New Hallville and East Rock, the Hill and the Yale Med School community, and to actually go from community to community in these different walks, saying, the blood cries out. And so do we, saying, drop the guns, drop the weapons, inviting alders, the mayor, other folks in our city that are peacekeepers, we hope. And we would show up too as peacekeepers going through our city, visibly asking for peace. And the third thing is to do liturgies of homicide anytime life is taken in our city, anytime blood falls, going to the site and grieving the way we would with family, because we're choosing to be family in this church with folks 
impacted by gun violence. We're choosing to be kin. To show up and say, the blood cries out, and so do we, and you're all invited to that. May 7th at 3 p.m., you're all invited to that. That's the second thing you can do is go to that liturgy. Maybe a weekly commitment is too much, but you can say, I can put that on my calendar. I can go there. I can grieve in community. When we did this with the family of Brian Fox, it was incredible to see his family say, I needed this. We already had a funeral, but I, I'm still grieving, though. Thank you for this. I didn't know what to do with my grief, and now I have another way to process. Thank you. We could also join our city in opportunities to serve. I mentioned a few of them, whether it's Youth Without Limits, other ones you can find on our website. And the fourth one everyone can do. If you don't do the first three, I, I really ask you, please do this one, which is to pray every day to be a peacemaker and then to act and expect the Lord to show up in your life to challenge you when you're in situations where peace is needed, where, where you feel like there's something going on inside of me and I need to seek peace that you would know I'm praying every day. And part of why we pray to be a peacemaker is to get close to conflict because it's the only way we can make peace. If we're praying to be a peacemaker, everything was fine, we wouldn't be peacemakers. So there's something we can do by praying. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. God has been speaking to our community about this for years. I think since before our community really even began as a church. I think God speaks to our community of New Haven about this. As we wonder, what does it mean to be in a city that can have such tragedy, but maybe to feel it so much that you are crying out, I need to do something, I need this liturgy. Or you're saying, I don't even know where violence is taking place. I feel so distant. We need God to meet us today, to connect us to one another. And I believe right now we can get further connected to the Lord. I'm going to invite you as we just pray for the Holy Spirit to come, and uh, soon Katie will come up and have some more invitations for us. But I want to uh, invite you, those who feel called right now, to be peacemakers. Something in this message has stirred you, something in your life has just said, uh, this is something that's needed. It's not, no pressure. You don't have to stand up if you're not feeling that. But if you feel like, no, something's happened where I know this is the next step for me is to say, I need to be a peacemaker. Focusing on what it means to bring good news. Focusing on what it means to get close. Focusing on what it means to be concerned about my personal formation so I can care about peace. If that's you, I just want you to stand to your feet. If that's part of what you're responding to today, the call to be a peacemaker. As you kind of let the Spirit sit with you right now and sense what the Spirit's doing, because standing's a commitment. God sees your standing. And for those that are sitting, it's God's still with you. There's a particular thing God's doing with some of us, and we're all one body together. So we're a community right here. But I want to pray for God's Spirit to come. Holy Spirit, would you come? And for the ones that are standing, God, would you mark them right now? For difficult work where many who are standing have counted some of the cost 
That's part of why they stood, because they knew that there's suffering. They knew that there was hardship. They knew there was a yes that they experienced in their heart. And so I'm praying right now that you would come, Holy Spirit. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're the children of God. Blessed are they, because they're making people into family who would sometimes want to devour one another. Blessed are they. Holy Spirit, release your blessings right now. Release your blessings to the whole room, that we would be able to feel your presence. I pray right now for people who are struggling with anger, even a kind of hatred, that you would minister to them your work of peace. God, sometimes the strongest reaction against this kind of work is someone not saying generally that they don't agree or couldn't do it, but there's a specific thing. I could never give peace to that person. Lord, where that situation is alive for someone or someones, Lord, would you minister peace to them today? Where this is personal for you, I feel like God wants to meet you personally and to speak a word that says his blood cries out. It says you can enter in to a work of reconciliation, not reconciliation right now, but to a work of it by just saying yes to Jesus. Holy Spirit, come.